You're listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories, a podcast that celebrates the wisdom, courage, experience, and joy of individuals in the queer community. Every week, we feature a guest who has a remarkable story to tell about their coming out and the life they've lived beyond. Now here's your host, Anne-Marie Zansel. I am so excited to welcome to our show today, Kristen Jones, who uses she, they pronouns. Kristen is a genderqueer and bi-parent of three, spouse, speech language pathologist, and small business owner. They are passionate about social justice, human rights. Kristen enjoys exploring nature, yoga, hiking, rock climbing, vintage clothing, traveling, volunteering in the community, and loves a good meme. Hey, Kristen, (laughs) welcome to the show. I love a good meme too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. So Kristen, tell me your story. Yeah, a quick overview, I guess. Um, I feel like it's a pretty, pretty loaded story, but um, I was born and raised in rural Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I attended a very religious Catholic school, K through 12, was raised in an extremely religious family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my journey, you know, it definitely was marked with a lot of childhood trauma, um, a lot of PTSD from my childhood that Mm -hmm. I thought never affected me. Uh, I went through life utilizing some pretty unhealthy coping strategies throughout my teenage and young adult years. Um, Thought that, you know, I could tough through my childhood. It didn't affect me. Um, Felt like a well-rounded person. Basically learned to people please from a very early age um, in order for survival. If and I, safety, right? Safety, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could anticipate and be one step ahead um, of the adults, particularly my father in my life, I could keep my mom safe. I could keep my brother safe. I could um, exist in a more peaceful household. So I learned to people please um, and kind of just go along with what society and the adults around me expected of me and wanted of me. Um Continued that for a really long time, uh, fell upon a great path to speech pathology in college, attended grad school in Columbus, Ohio, at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met my spouse in graduate school there uh, in, a, in a research lab, of all things, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, began this new life with, with him um, in Columbus and then in Nashville, and we've been in Nashville for about 15 years. Um, I didn't really stop and I never really stopped to smell the roses. I think I just continued with the path that was expected of me and the path that I thought I should continue on. Um, Had three amazing children and they are now 11, six, and four. Um, Super busy. Spent a lot of my career in university medical centers as an adult speech pathologist, which Mm -hmm. I adored before founding um, my own practice about a year ago. So I have a private practice now. Um, I specialize in neurological rehabilitation for adults. So mm-hmm. uh, stroke, stroke victims. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was a chaplain for years, so I know oh. in, in medical centers. So I know about adult speech pathology. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Um, and then now I, I specialize um, in addition to adult neurological rehabilitation, uh, gender affirming voice training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so helping trans uh, trans and gender non-conforming individuals finding their gender congruent voice. Mm-hmm. Um, all that being said, about five years ago, I came out to my husband as bi. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think that was any surprise at all. I think as I came out to my friends and my close ones, a lot of people thought I had already come out <laughs> and I had, yes. um, so it was like very, you know, very well known. I feel like at that point, um, and expected. And then, um, as I embarked on a healing journey from my childhood trauma, um, I also have OCD. And as I, uh, began some intensive programs to help manage my OCD and help, um, heal my childhood trauma, it just exploded this path open to finding my true authentic self. Um, and it allowed me for the first time to see who I am as a person and who I want to be and how I identify, not what everybody else around me or what society wants me to be. Um, and it began to allow me to choose okay, what do I want my life to look like? Like, I want my identity to come through in my life. Um, And that was about five years ago. I participated in a lot of projects along the way with visibility um, and starting to find my community. Um, And I can talk more about that as well. But I, um, I, it kind of all started with um, a local queer photographer, Emily April Allen, Mm -hmm. um, like a Bi Diaries project. Mm -hmm. And I very... um, I was very anxiety ridden, but I reached out to her and I asked to participate and that really just catapulted my comfort level with coming out publicly. And since then, um, you know, I've come out to my family, my in-laws, everybody's been lovely and supportive and amazing. Um, It's allowed me to really settle into my gender identity, which I consider to be, uh, I feel most comfortable labeling it as gender queer, gender non-conforming. but yeah, that has been my path, kind of an overview of it. Um, I am still married to my cishet husband, uh, have a lovely marriage, but it was definitely a long path of self-discovery, a lot of, um, a lot of late nights talking about what does this look like, um, what would be best for all of us, what would be best for me, what would be best for you. So that's kind of my story, my path to where I am now. Well, you said a lot of good words in there. So I want to ask some questions. Okay. So for our audience, what does gender queer and gender non-conforming mean? Very good question. (laughs) Um, I feel that it is so individual um, and very specific to each individual. So I can only speak to my lived experience and how I identify. Um, But for me, gender queer is just and gender non-conforming is not fitting into that that binary that that binary that society has defined um, he and she right and she, exactly yes right. yes right. um i view it as a spectrum and mm-hmm. i feel like i'm somewhere on the spectrum falling between she and they so falling between identifying as female i'm assigned female at birth um identifying as assigned female and identifying as um as non-binary i'm somewhere between there um, and so it's very fluid for me, uh, but just not conforming to that gender binary, seeing myself as a human first. Um, well, it's really interesting because your sexuality is fluid as well. So it, it seemed for you, it seems like a really good fit for 
how you, who you are as a human being. There's like a fluidity in your sexuality and there's a fluidity in your gender as well. So that is really, you know, to being able to embrace that, you know, back in the day, you know, 30 years ago, it was like, pick a team, pick a side. (laughs) Now things have changed and a lot of people, you know, and so there's a lot more language around um, gender now that we didn't have before. And it's also ever evolving, isn't it? Ever evolving. Yeah, like sometimes you're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know I couldn't say that. (laughs) Yes, yes. And the language component has been so freeing for me. I just, I didn't have the language for so long to describe how I was feeling internally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I only have had that language in recent years. And as you know, I'm almost 40 and like, it took me 40 years to find that right language. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, thinking back to so many things that I did growing up or ways that I had tried to really um, present my true authentic self and my identity, I just didn't have the language or even the knowledge, I feel like to to acknowledge who I was and, and my identity. So that language is a huge component. So what did you do in your childhood? Like when you, so like both of us know that on this later in life journey and later in life is self-defined. And so, you know, I work with people as young as 25, um, you know, um, and a lot of times there's a lot of self-reflection and looking back at things. And what I have found is like, like, so for example, I use some things that I put into the shame category. Like now I realize, oh, that's pretty normal for a young lesbian to be, to be doing, (laughs) you know? Um, And, and so what, what have you, like, as you began, you know, you said you had done this healing journey. So I'm sure on this healing journey, this is some of the things that came up. So what do you, what are you talking about when you say, when you look at things? mainly my childhood, probably in my early adult years, um, I grew up and the religious community I grew up in, this was just my personal experience. Um, it was pretty like shame-ridden. I feel like, um, like mortal sin was very, it was very fear-based. Um, and I, you know, grew up with this idea that homosexuality is a sin and it's a mortal sin. And, you know, these ideas being put in my head, um, but at the same time, as I, I grew older, my brother came out um, as gay and, and we were teenagers. And from the very beginning, I was very supportive and wanted to be such a fierce ally for the LGBTQ community. Um, even as I, I remember as like a very young teenager, um, which I didn't really have any exposure to the community in my, in my small tiny town um, and within my religious kind of sector. Um, oh, I know. I'm ca- I was I'm ex ex Catholic too, so I completely okay. understand what you're talking. I grew up Catholic and went to Catholic school for nine years. I didn't go through all the way through high school, so I get it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of congruency within this our mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, and so yeah, just like this really big interest in the LGBTQ community and and drive to be like a fierce ally from a very young age. Um, and not even fully understanding what it was. And then from a gender perspective, um, I had a bit of disordered eating as I started to go through puberty and into um, high school. And it wasn't necessarily weight driven. It was more wanting to um, 
present with like as few curves as possible. I mean, I just wanted, I remember saying, I just want to look like a, like a boy. Like I just want to be straight up and down. I don't want these curves. I was very uncomfortable in my body. Um, and looking back on that, I've always been extremely uncomfortable um, presenting very feminine or with curves or with breasts. Um, and that in hindsight now, I understand that. And it makes so much sense with where I fall on that gender identity spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and I can tell you the exact moment I knew I was queer uh, on spring break in college when we went to a drag show in Key West at um, a gay bar and I wanted to stay there while all of my other friends wanted to go to all the other bars and I just felt like at home. It felt warm. It felt welcoming. It felt inviting. It felt like I was in a space that I should be in and I I belonged in. Uh, and the next day I remember thinking, am I gay? Um, and at that time, I think I was maybe 21, maybe 20. And I just allowed that thought to kind of pass in the wind because that wasn't the path that I was supposed to be on. That wasn't the path that society well, had me on. And also too, I, a lot of people talk about this. Um, your brother had come out and gay mm -hmm. as gay. And so, you know, families are like, we can only have one gay member in our family. You know, <laughs> nobody else. And, and a lot of times they actually have more than one. And I have met a lot of my clients have gone, you know, they have, have a gay sibling and they're like, oh, only that person can be gay in our family and nobody else is allowed to be. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's some, sometimes that's very subconscious with people. They don't, how, I'm just really quick, quickly. How were your parents when your brother came out? Um, accepting, but struggling, I, mm -hmm. I feel. Um, and in, in due time, we're estranged from my father now, but um, my mom has become a fierce ally for the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's been fantastic to see the evolution and the support mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. from my family. So, well, and also too, a lot of us um, are also, uh, you know, it's so funny because I've always been a fierce ally too, you know, and yeah. I often say that like internalized homophobia is, I find that people in the later in life community often have been fierce allies forever. Oh, and the yeah. only person that can't be gay is me, you know, anybody else can be. I'll accept anybody else being, I don't care, but the only person who can't be is me. And I I really hear you because with, with your childhood of, of being in a very Catholic environment, um, I did not, unlike you, we, they never talked about gay people. They simply didn't exist. You know, there was no preaching against homosexuality and stuff like that, but you sound like you were in a diocese where there was. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the Catholic Church, um, for those people who don't know, depending on what area of the country you live in, you, and the dioceses sometimes have different flavors. There's more conservative dioceses. There's more liberal dioceses. I grew up in a liberal diocese okay. in Connecticut. So, you know, I mean, liberal as Catholic can be, but, you know, I mean, very loving. I mean, it was a pretty good experience, actually, for me, because I don't know if you felt this way, but growing up, you know, my, my home life was chaotic. So school was my place of safety. Mm -hmm. And um, because my dad was an alcoholic, um, he stopped drinking when I was 18 and did a lot to repair. Um, but my dad was an alcoholic. So going to school was a place of safety for me, because I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Church was a place of safety for me because I knew like, you know, I mean, Catholic church is very liturgical. So, you know, you know, what's going to happen every single time. And for me, I know for a lot of people, it wasn't a place, but for me, it was a place of safety, you know, to hear that because I think it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I can only speak to my lived experience and my particular experience in that church and not to anybody else's. So I do, I love to hear that that was such a safe space for you and provide yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and also too, like, and, and (laughs) totally fucked me up about sexuality. (laughs) And a lot of times, a lot of my work is, you know, we have to, especially those women who've grown up in conservative religious traditions, um, we have to unpack the baggage of being a woman first, you know, and at that time you identified as being a woman. Mm -hmm. So you absorbed all those messages. And then we have, then we have to unpack all that stuff before we can even get to the queer stuff, you know, because there's a lot of expectations for women, you know, and, and in the Catholic church, there's the Madonna whore and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So true. So true. (laughs) Not a lot of place. So I hear you tell me a little bit about your healing journey. I love to talk about it. Um, I'm such an open book with it. Um, and I wasn't for so long. So it's something I'm very, very proud of. Um, so I went through a treatment program, uh, Rogers Behavioral Health, locally in Nashville, um, a very intensive treatment program for OCD and anxiety. Um, my OCD had slowly over the years just started to consume me. Uh, and I didn't realize to what extent it had. And I entered that program a few months before the pandemic hit in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and had, it was a daily program. Um, so it was like a partial hospitalization program. Um, really cannot even put into words how important that journey was for me. Uh, gave me the support I needed. Gave me the exposure to these things that my brain had perceived as um, awful things. There was no way around them. Like danger was imminent. Uh, and then once my OCD was more well-managed and I had transitioned to just outpatient therapy, um, then I started trauma therapy. So then I started the trauma therapy to really zero in and heal the childhood trauma. I, um, thought I would walk through the motions. It was recommended for me. I did not realize how intense the healing would be how freeing and liberating the healing process would be. I think I went from worrying about how society and people perceive me and how I present and and did I say this right? Did I say the wrong thing? To like, here I am, this is me. I like, don't care what you think. Um, This is just me and I'm happy with it and I love it. And uh, it was just, I am a better mother, a better spouse, a better person because of that healing journey. It, It just... Yeah, it changed my world in so many ways. Did you do EMDR? Um, <clears throat> I did not. So I had considered it. My brother did EMDR. Um, I did exposure response prevention. So um, ERP for the OCD, um, dialectal behavior therapy, DBT, um, mm-hmm. which was huge for me. Um, I really read a ton on, um, um, I'm blanking right now, um, radical acceptance. That's what I was saying. Cara Brock and radical acceptance um, just changed my view of the world um, and accepting that there's just, there are things in the world that you cannot change and you can, you're just going to increase your suffering by continuing to 
to worry about those. Um, and then I did a narrative-based trauma approach um, with a local psychiatrist, which worked wonders for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like you really, you attacked it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. I, my spouse, my mom, my family was so supportive. I mean, I did this with I think my youngest child was 12 months old when I started all of this. So I did this with a house full of kids and a family. And it was just the support that I received from my family to see me through this journey was incredible. So a lot of people have what's called a catalytic moment when this all starts. Um, did you have one? Was it the birth of your last child? Um, that's a really good question. Catalytic as far as like when my queerness, when I like when I realized my queerness or with the well, healing? You know, a lot of people, um, you know, have a catalyst for yes. especially regarding sexual orientation and stuff like that. But a lot of times we start on this journey when we have just this moment in our lives when we know we cannot continue on the same path that we've been continuing on. And so I'm curious, did you have a moment? A lot of times people giving birth, like, is that moment for a lot of people. And I was just curious, like for me, my postpartum depression with my first child, I mean, with my fourth child was the, that was like, that was the moment that started me on the healing journey. I mean, it took another 10 years to get to the queerness, but I mean, that's, it was a very long journey of doing a lot of work and, you know, and doing being in a, and, and participating in a, you know, I was, I did um, a clinical chaplain. I was a chaplain in the hospital and did a residency and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So all of that was part of that healing journey. So I'm curious, did you have a moment when you're like, okay, I need to get some help? <laughs> I think it might was a slow burn. I think yeah. I, I, there wasn't a specific catalytic moment that I can think of. I think it was like a slow process of um, you know, these symptoms start of OCD and anxiety getting worse and worse. Um, and yeah, I think that it was just this moment of, I was in outpatient therapy and this fantastic, fantastic therapist that I had here in Nashville. She really encouraged me, like didn't push, but really encouraged me when I felt like I could to enter into a more intensive treatment program. And I will forever have immense gratitude for her um, and her encouragement, but not pushing. Um, that kind of led me in that direction. So I think probably that, the fact I trusted her, um, I trusted her opinion, her professional opinion. Um, and she, I think just her gentle nudges for getting some more intense healing probably was the catalyst for, for that movement in my life. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You have to face your demons and are, you know, and, and, and so I know that scares people when I say that, but you have to face, you know, sometimes as humans, we, we like to pretend that our families were perfect and everything was wonderful and stuff like that. And, and it feels almost this disloyalty if you say hey things really weren't that great and and so um sometimes that's the demon you know it's it's not it's not it's the vulnerability of saying 
you know, things really were a little hard and things really were something that I needed to work through and stuff like that. So I really applaud you on your vulnerability. I mean, that that's really, that's, that's hard work. And, but it sounds, I can feel your energy and I can also feel how um, up it is. And, um, and uh, just, I can feel your acceptance of who you are as a human being. You know, you can feel that with people when you um, meet people that have sort of accepted themselves, you know, all the beauty of themselves and all the warts. Of them. Yes, for sure. Oh my goodness. It took a long time to get here, but now, yes, yeah. it is. It feels so good to be here. So I've just, my last question for you before we end the program today, you said you did a lot of work in finding community. So tell me what you did, because that's the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle people get over when they're coming from the pretty exclusively straight world. And you were pretty entrenched in that because, you know, when you're a mommy and, you know, all those things, you know, it's really it's very consuming. It's all consuming. And so how did you find and build community? Yes, that is such a good question and such a vital part of my story um, and allowing me to be where I am today and my happiness. Um, so for me, I didn't realize the value of visibility and community for so long. I came out to my husband. I came out to my friends, my family. I came out publicly. Um, and then I connected with Emily, Emily April Allen, the photographer, the queer photographer in Nashville. Um, and I think that was my first step to really building community. Um, I did her Nashville by Diaries project. Um, and then I connected with people through that. Um, and I spoke on a local NPR um, segment on bisexuality in Nashville, met some phenomenal people on that radio show um, that are doing fantastic things within the Nashville queer community. Um, and then I kind of came to a point where I was like, don't feel connected to the community after that. I need to keep this up because that felt so good to be in community and to be visible publicly with who I am. Um, and I also feel like, you know, we all have our own lived experience. And mine is, is I am a I feel like I'm a straight presenting, I'm in a straight, straight presenting marriage, a straight passing marriage. Um, I feel like I uh, am probably a cis passing person and I feel safe being visible. So I have, I acknowledge that I have a lot of these privileges with passing in certain ways that also allow me to feel safe to be visible. Um, so I wanted to utilize that and I wanted to be visible. Um, but then also I realized that visibility and community component was the key to really allowing me to be extremely happy and choose to be in a straight passing marriage. So when I did not have that community, that visibility, I, I struggled with, is this the right path for me? This is my person. He's a spectacular human being. Like, this is my person. This is my family. I'm choosing this. I want to choose this, but I struggled with, but I don't have that community, but this is a huge part of my identity, my queerness. And like, I don't feel that. I don't feel like I present that way. I don't feel like people would understand that or know that about me. So then I reached out to some LGBTQ networking groups, met some phenomenal people through those, opened so many doors. 
um, to participating in various um, LGBTQ health fairs, for example. Um, I think SNS companies posted one recently and I, I, I participated in that and it was lovely uh, to be in community and then to go to networking events with other LGBTQ identifying individuals. Um, I was downtown at the Capitol a lot for a lot of rallies, a lot of protests, a lot of sitting in legislative session um, and meeting with legislators with um, TEP. And, yeah, TEP. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Phenomenal. Phenomenal organization. So just really um, being involved in the community and finding those ways, um, volunteering at Oasis um, with youth has been phenomenal. Um, so yeah, finding those ways to just dig into the community, to meet people, to be in community, to be visible, to participate in all of the many, many, many things Nashville has going on in the LGBTQ community. And it has just, it has just made me feel alive and visible and so happy and grounded with where I am right now in my life. I'm choosing my family. I'm choosing my person that I'll spend my life with. And I can be a queer individual. So I can be married to a cishet man and have three children. And I can be a queer individual. Um, and it's been fantastic. I mean, the, and, and there's so much visibility within my family. My, my kids and my husband, they really validate me um, and my identity, which has been vital to being where I am now. Um, and just for, uh, TEP is Tennessee Equality Project. And so they do a lot of work here in Nashville. So in, if you are in Nashville, look them up. They do a lot of great work. And Chris Sanders is a saint because mm -hmm. I don't know how he keeps, he's the director of it. And I don't know how he keeps doing what he does because Tennessee has been pretty difficult this year and brutal for our community, for the LGBTQ community. So Kristen Jones, you've had an, oh, an, an amazing journey. So did you have a coming out song? Uh, probably, I mean, it's probably pretty cliche, but anything by Brandi Carlisle. I yeah. Mean, it was amazing. Um, the eye, the story. I mean, just all of her music is phenomenal and empowering. And, and did you ever go to one of her concerts or anything like that? Yes. My spouse surprised me for my birthday over the summer. Uh, with one of her outdoor concerts at Ascend Amphitheater. And it was just, it was magical. I was there. Were I was you? There. Yeah, I went to uh, Mexico too. I've been, I've been to Mexico twice for her, um, her thing. So it is, she's an incredible performer and um, um, you should go to Mexico, honey. If, or if they, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to go to Mexico again because of all this violence that's happening down there, but wherever she goes, they're doing the mothership in May and if you can go to that go to it it's on Mother's Day weekend so it's coming up but amazing it, yeah wow. you would love that because there's so many queer people there truly I love that and the empowerment from it as well I just oh my goodness yeah um so uh do you have a book or movie that really really changed your perspective on life you've already mentioned Tara Brock mm -hmm. um any others <laughs> Um, probably not so much books as more kind of theories and readings. Um, Kristen Neff. I uh, love self-compassion. Yeah, fierce self-compassion. Oh my goodness. That was transformative for me. Um, her writings on self-compassion and, and meeting yourself with compassion. Tara Brock and Radical Acceptance. I believe I'm saying this right. Pema Chodron. I'm not for sure because I can't to say it. 
um, she, her writings on uncertainty and being comfortable with uncertainty have been incredibly transformative for my life and, and just kind of shaped my overall outlook on the world of, mm -hmm. you know, bad things can happen, uncomfortable things can happen. How can we sit in that um, and decrease our suffering as much as possible? So it's just, it's changed my entire outlook on the world. She's a great book too, called When Bad Things Happen. And um, uh, that's a really um, powerful book, When Something Really Challenging and Difficult Happens in Your Life. And um, I really love that one as well. So what's your life like today since all this coming out all over the place? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's been, a, it's been a pretty radical few years, um, fantastic few years. It's good. Um, it's 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 been a long road to get here for sure. Um, but I felt so supported um, and loved through the entire process. So it's fantastic. Um, three kiddos and great spouse. Um, I you know my career after 15 years in this career, I found this path toward private practice, and it just it lights me up. I I feel like I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing with the community that I'm supposed to be working within. So it's fantastic. I, I, you know, two years ago, I didn't know. I wasn't for sure what the future looked like or held. And I feel so settled and grounded and happy. And I was going to use the word content, but I feel like that doesn't even convey how I'm feeling. I feel illuminated. It feels great. So I just want to let everyone know I'm having a new podcast called Queer Business Success. And Kristen will be on that podcast coming up um, sometimes, sometime in June. And um, she will be talking about her, um, her business and her work with trans individuals who are doing voice work to make their voice match their gender identity, right? Is that how you describe it? Absolutely, okay. yeah. Yeah. And actually, you'll probably be listening to this episode after that comes out just because <laughs> of scheduling. And I've had so many wonderful people in the queue. So Jet Kristen's uh, this episode of Kristen's might be in July. So go back and listen to the one June for queer business success because she can talk about what she does. And um, I'm very excited to have you on that program as well. So thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your story today and telling all about how you have become very comfortable with who you are as a human being and have accepted, you know, all the things in your life to make them work together. And so thank you so much for sharing that story. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.